ladies that are away at a couple of retreats this weekend, and you're like, that's my countdown song to get the house in order for them coming home. And um, Okay, at least that's what I was thinking uh, on the way. So John Dickerson, in his book, The Great Evangelical Recession, he writes this, that unless God intervenes, a revival comes, that in about 80 years, the church as you know it will be near extinct. Kind of hard to imagine, you know, when the church has been in so active for, for so long. But what he's getting at is this idea that the church is on a countdown here. That if we were to continue uh, in our country as things are changing, and he's talking from a U.S. perspective here, that in the U.S. we are on such a decline in evangelical Christianity that in a very short period of time uh, we actually would be near non-existent. He states at this point... True biblical evangelical Christianity accounts for about 14% of the population in the United States. Now, you're not going to get that kind of answer if you ask somebody, do you have a church they go to? Because as I learned when I moved to North Carolina, everybody's got a church they go to, right? Um, and then when I say, oh, yeah, who's the pastor there? Nah, I don't know who that pastor is. So um, about 14%. That surprises me. These are actual statistics here. 80% of people polled in the U.S., do not go to church at all. A little stronger in the Bible Belt regions and a whole lot weaker in, uh, in some other regions, certainly in the Northeast, would be a much less percentage there. So if there's this countdown, if there is this, this look at the church is, is like on, a, on a, a, a clock, and as we're going down, we're trying to figure out, do we, you know, do we cut the red button or the red wire or the blue wire here? What do we do? The question for us this morning is really, uh, how do we look at the church, and what really was the purpose of the church in the first place, and within that, is there some answer to what we might be missing uh, in our country, in our decline in the evangelical church? Now, I don't want you to miss what John Dickerson uh, just said, that unless God intervenes and there is revival, this is not the first time in the history of the church that the church has faced difficult, difficult times. But God seemed to bring his revival in special ways. I've read uh, at times when people said, revival never happens without prayer. Revival never happens without confession of sin. Or revival never happens without some figure of God rising up. And the truth of the matter is it's probably all of the above. God has used several different ways to spark and renew revival within his church and within the land. How he'll choose to use it this time and what will be the dominant future, I don't know. I look forward to the day. But I know one thing. The church has always been central in revival. The church and the mission of the church and the purpose of the church has always been central. So this morning, here's what I want to do. As we look at this series we're walking through, we're calling it Re-Church. And for the next couple of weeks, we're basically just looking at what really is the definition of the church. If we take a re-look re at this, and this week I want to talk about this intentional purpose that the church has. And in that int intentional purpose, it would really be a call for us to make sure we are about the things that the early church was about as well. At the very beginning of the year, we set chairs up very differently and we plugged in nothing on Sunday morning. We had no video screen and nothing. And we asked the question, what matters? What really matters if you were to strip away all of that kind of stuff? What really matters in God's church? 
and we discovered a few things. And I want to highlight uh, some of those this morning as we walk through this. Rethink of our purpose. If our purpose is focused strictly on tradition, then we say things like, well, we've never done that before. And that would dictate what we do in the future. If our, dict- if our, our purpose is dictated on a personality, then we're going to let like the strongest personality, you know, maybe it's a pastor in a church or maybe it's a certain family that's been there 80 years or whatever, we're going to let that person kind of dictate the flow of the church and what we say yes and what we say no to. If our purpose is just on kind of the money aspect of the church and staying, you know, always staying good financially, we're always going to ask the question, what will it cost us to do something like that? And then if we're always focused just on the purpose being programs, then we're always measuring our success by how many chairs are filled for different programs, and we kind of miss the life change part of that. I would tell you this morning that I believe that there is a central purpose that comes from God's Word that every church should be a part of, and then there are focuses that God releases a church to be focused on because God wants to use that specific group of people to do that specific thing. Let me just give you a a little insight on that as far as purpose goes. One of our purposes here at Wendover Hills is to reach the man to reach the family. Doesn't mean we're not female friendly here at all. I mean, the, the women are away at a, an awesome retreat that, that we have spent lots of times and resources helping them put together so they would have this this weekend. But the bottom line is, 93% of the time, if a man comes to know the Lord, comes to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, and starts plugging into a church, 93% of the time, the whole family will plug in as well. Drop that all the way down to 23% of time when a mom or lady comes to know the Lord as well. That doesn't mean we'll disregard because of 23%, but we recognize that it's hard to reach men. And so you have to think about that and be intentional. And so we do certain things intentionally to reach men. We want to take the church outside of these doors. We're not interested in just being right here and being together. And I think we we could do a potluck with the best of them here. But that's not our purpose and that's not our focus. It's to get outside of this door. And some of the most exciting things I feel like at our church, and when somebody says, God laid this on my heart, I went out, I've been doing it, and some of the people from the church have kind of tagged along and joined me in doing that. I'm going to tell you, I've met many pastors and leadership at many churches that would be threatened by that type of thing. Well, you need to run that ministry through the church, you know. And I'm saying, no, that's not our purpose. That's not our focus. If God has put it on your heart, do you know what the purpose of the church is? to figure out how to empower and resource you if you're following what God would have you do. It's also to give checks and balances, to give an accountability that God indeed is the one speaking. And then finally, we want to see many people find salvation in Jesus Christ. When somebody comes up to you and they say, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, so I think I'm okay on this heaven thing, we want to teach them what the Bible really says about salvation. We want to teach them about Jesus Christ and accepting Christ into their heart and how it transforms their life here and gives them life eternal. And so that's three of our strategy, our focus here at our church. Um, but I want to walk through quickly here in Acts chapter 2. I want to walk through these focus that is true for every church. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 2 And uh, we'll have it on the screen as well. Here's what the Proverbs says about this topic. It says, many are the plans of man's heart. I'm the same way. I like to plan quite a bit. You probably do too. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Do you know what that means? All of your plans that you have in life don't always mirror up to God's purpose. 
And the Bible is saying it's God's purpose that really prevails. Why? Because a clear purpose, it not only defines what we do, but it also defines what we won't do. What we won't spend our time focusing on and doing, that's what purpose does for you. So what's the purpose of the church for every church? Uh, Number one, we want to talk about worship. Worship. You know what worship is? Worship is to know God, to know God, to connect with him, and to know him. We talk about it often to know him in terms of a relationship and to have this almost friendship connection with God, this type of knowledge. We find in the very beginning of the Bible that God actually walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's what we talk about when we talk about knowing God in that sort of way. Every once in a while, uh, you might have the opportunity to run across one of your celebrities, sports heroes, musicians, those type of things. You stand in line for two hours, you get an autograph, you might have all of one sentence spoken, and you go away and say, yeah, I met him, he's a real nice guy. You don't know him, you've got a signature on a paper. God is saying, look, I'm not just interested in signing your paper, I want to know you. And we know God through our worship of God, that we interact with God. One of the biggest dangers in our church, in the contemporary church, is that we have narrowed worship to when we have singing songs. We say, we worshiped, now we're going to preach. We worship, okay, that was a good worship this morning, now I'm going out to live my life. The truth of the matter is, worship is how we interact with who God is. That is our worshiping of him. And if you define it as that, then you would know that it continues on day after day after day, minute after minute, it continues on uh, in our life. That is worship. So what stood out for the early church? Let me just read this here. If you've got your Bibles, I think I give you enough time to get there. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Stop for a minute. Now, I know some of you, I've heard it uttered out of your lips. You say, man, I just, you talk a little bit about growth and evangelism, and we're in this campaign, grow to 200, we'll talk about that later, um, kind of thing. I just don't, you know, I just don't think a big church is biblical at all. Um, Well, you wouldn't connect with the church here in the book of Acts. I mean, 3,000 were added to their number that one day. We certainly have never seen that happen. I, I don't even hear about that at big churches, usually 3,000 in one day. Um, God was interested in seeing people added to their numbers and being saved. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What stood out in their worship here? Well, it was their choir, right? I mean, they had a killer choir back. No, it wasn't that. There is their five-piece band and how they were able to play and and they were they had transitioned from being piano led to drum driven in their worship right i mean obviously that's crazy thought that that's not what stood out at all you would think more of the word that stood out would be devotion their devotion and their connection stood out in their worship and those things really cannot uh cannot be separated devotion and worship 
Here's how Paul writes it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And what is this? This is your spiritual act of worship. I mean, notice Paul says nothing about singing three songs, four songs that morning. It, do, it doesn't matter. He says it's your body. It's yourself. It's offering yourself as a living sacrifice. It's kind of a weird phrase. I mean, we say things like that sometimes in Christianity, but um, nowhere else do we really talk about that. What is a sacrifice? I mean, you give yourself up, you're dead, right? That's a sacrifice. A living sacrifice, like jumbo shrimp. It just doesn't quite fit and go together there. It's him saying, look, you take who you are, your life, what you're living, and you surrender it to God every day. You surrender it to God. We have this perception that if I surrender it to God, that means God's taking it away entirely, and I never get to do it again. That's never said in God's Word. Well, God says surrender, and then God will give to you what you actually need to live this life, to live it to the fullest, to worship Him, to reach others. God will give back to you, and God will weed out the things that are of no use to you, but we find that what we're gifted in, what we love— God seems to use those things for his kingdom, but after we have sacrificed and given daily to him. That was worship. In our day and age, we have confused like worship on like a theological level, what we're walking through, what the Bible says, and worship on a preference level. You know what I'm talking about? A preference level is, well, I like that music. I don't like that music. You know, that lighting really bothered me this morning. Um, I went to the church. I mean, they had a smoke machine, and that's just so sacrilegious, you know. And we, you know, we talk about those type of things all the time, those type of things. They're preference-based things. When I was growing up, and I didn't become a Christian until I was 16, and I didn't spend much time in the church until I was about 16 years old. In fact, I might be able to tell you the number of non-Christmas services I attended, like on one hand, up to about 16 years old. And so from 16 to 18, I attended a church. I became a Christian. It was wonderful. Um, When I was 18, I went to college, and I got a little job as a junior high youth pastor, 10 hours a week. Didn't have a clue what I was doing. Some people say that's true today. But as I was there, the first Sunday in that church, I was like, what in the world is this? What is going on at this church? Because it was this thing they called a praise team, and I didn't know what was happening. I, had, I was at a church that was called, um, it actually was called a Country Parsons Church um, and it was kind of like, you know, fiddles and banjos and things like that. And I went, and there was like an electric guitar and things. I didn't know what had happened. But for two years, all I knew is that in the church world, you had fiddles and banjos. And the, the pastor had a harmonica around his neck like this that he would blow into. That's what I thought was kind of Christian music, you know. And so it was a whole, whole new world. Those are preference things. God was honored in the banjo, and he was honored in the electric guitar. When I moved on from college, I went to Wilmore, Kentucky. And when I was in Wilmore, I went to a very traditional church. And they had this guy who would stand up front and do this kind of stuff. I didn't know what he was doing. You know? I had only seen this kind of thing at the start of races when I watched on TV. But he was doing this kind of thing, directing us all, and being a non-musical person— he was not helping me at all, uh, and, you know, I'm just doing the best I can to get to the right page in time to start the song. 
So we were doing hymns and we were organ-driven and that. You know what? God was as blessed in that as any other place. In our day and age, we get so caught up in worship and we think about preferences. I like that. I didn't like that. John 4 tells us this. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. We don't have time to walk theologically through that whole statement, but we worship the truth of God's word and the truth of who God is. And guess what? We do it in our spirit. We, we, don't just, we do it in our heart. We do it in our soul. We don't just do it through outward forms. Those outward forms are just tools we use, but it's our heart and it's our soul that worships him. And when we think about that, we think it goes way beyond songs. It goes way beyond a service on Sunday morning. That's just the tip of the iceberg, if that is how we live our lives every single day. In fact, I would tell you this. If you've ever been to a, a, a big concert, a music concert, or, you know, some place where, you know, they brought in, like, the, the big-name speakers, and at the end of the night, you were so tempted to go on your Facebook or your Twitter or your Instagram, and what would you post? Amazing spirit of worship tonight. But, you know, that week when you were doing your job and you were working through your paperwork, and it was as simple as just changing one number for the benefit of you or for the benefit of your company, but you said, no, that's not, that's not morally right to do that. That would be the same as stealing. And you chose not to change that number. Guess what? Post the same thing on your Facebook. That is a spiritual act of worship that just happened there when you live out God's word. It's 24-7, and that is a purpose of the church, to be devoted in our worship all of the time. Number two, uh, it's teaching we find there. Teaching is to know about God, to know about God, teaching. Now, uh, we're all different, right? Personality-wise, we're all a bit different. We already talked about preferences just a little bit. Um, I went to a pastor's retreat uh, Monday through Wednesday, and they, they kind of had, in my opinion, kind of like a knock-it-out-of-the-park uh, teacher that came and taught about five sessions. And I'm telling you, I, I was not going to miss that. In fact, sometimes I got to the service, and they started some of the pre-service things like we do, and they did some singing, and guy got up and did some announcements, a testimony, and those are all awesome things. In my head, you know what I was thinking? Let's get to this speaker. Let's move along. Let's get to this speaker. Um, I want to hear the teaching. Well, teaching is important, but equally, we often think we boil teaching down to the time where the person gets on stage and they talk for you know, 25 minutes, right? 30 minutes, 35, 40, something like that. I'm watching the clock. I got a wife on her way home too. Oh. But teaching is way beyond that. It's allowing God to teach us, and it's, it's allowing ourselves to learn more and more and more about God. In fact, I would tell you this, that I believe that the teaching coming together in, in on Sunday mornings and being taught from God's Word is essential to our Christianity, having somebody else teach into us. But every bit essential, maybe more, is when you open up God's Word like this and you read and let God teach you. Let Him teach you. This week we were out of school on Friday, uh, my kids were, and uh, TC went in the backyard and he put together a bunch of uh, wood and built a bench in the backyard. Well, that afternoon, uh, while they were away, and Sierra and I went to a bookstore, I decided to pick up TC a woodworking book with like a hundred different things uh, in there to, to work on. Why? Because I was wanting to teach him, and I know I couldn't personally do it, so I got a book that would help to teach him 
to work with wood even more, to take this idea he had and now even take it to another level to teach it. You've got your own story in that area. Let me ask you, how how many times have you viewed it the same way in God's Word, saying, I want to be taught by God's Word. I want to know a bit more about God's Word, and I open it up and I read. The first time I wanted to learn more about Greek when I was in seminary, I know, it's funny sounding, I wanted to learn more about Greek. Um, When I opened up and I read it, can I tell you the first thing I read in my the basics of Koinonia Greek book? I have no idea. I can't even tell you because it made no sense to me whatsoever to read that. But after two years of taking Greek, I had a, a pretty decent understanding of how the language flowed at least. So when you open up God's Word, don't first say, I don't know what they're talking about there. You may not. Stay in it and stay learning and let God teach you because that's how we learn about God. And we find here in this verse that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What are you devoted to would be the question this morning. Probably devoted to your family, your job, right? Maybe a hobby that you're devoted to. Well, let me ask you, does that show up in your life? Would you say, I am devoted to the teaching of God's Word? I'm devoted to that. Far outside of just 35 minutes on Sunday morning, but am I devoted in my life to the teaching You know, there's people that are coming to my house on Monday nights for this Financial Peace University class. And you know why they're coming? Because they're learning how to be devoted to the Word of God as it relates to their personal finances in their life. Being devoted to God's Word and being taught and learn more. Here's what Colossians says. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. Maturity. Now, here's what I've learned. Um... Most of us think we're mature. I certainly thought I was mature all the way up to about 38 to 40 years old. And then I started to look at things and go, man, I kind of act like a 20-year-old sometimes. No insult to you 20-year-olds. Some of you are well beyond uh, where I was. But we often think we're mature. This verse says, you know what, when we learn, when we're taught, it's this common sense stuff and it brings us to maturity, I've often said to people when, with all of the, the recovery centers that we work or when we see people come to know the Lord from broken situations, uh, I've said in seriousness, you know, we can, we can see them get saved. We can see them get clean. We can see them put down addictions in their life. It's very hard to get somebody mature. It's a work of God. And it works through God's teaching that when they pour into God's teaching, they learn more and more and it matures people in life. So what if, uh, what if God, I was talking with somebody yesterday, um, no, let me back up, and this person was talking about a time in their life when they actually made a claim, you know, this is most important to me in life, or God is number one, or, you know, I love the Bible, that's the number one book in my life. What if God actually called us out verbally on every claim we made like that? Like, I think that's all it would take If God just called us out on the claims when we said, God's number one in my life, and God said, oh, hmm, pardon me, but uh, I'd like to talk to you a second about that statement. Or when you said, you know, hey, the best books I've ever read, you know, were da-da-da, oh, well, I mean, the Bible first, then da-da-da, and God said, hmm, hmm, let's let's talk about that for just a second. And God just called us on those. It would tell us what we're devoted to and what we're being taught out of. Third thing we find on this list is, is fellowship. And fellowship is expressing love to those inside the church. 
might sound a little odd to you, those inside the church. Fellowship here, this, this in, in the original language, this fellowship was actually a word that was focused on what the church was doing for one another here. And the word actually means it's sharing with somebody. Tangible or otherwise, it's sharing something with somebody that is fellowship. So it's sharing life with one another, sharing a meal with one another. That was this fellowship, this, this, this concept in God's Word about fellowship. Now, for us, often we say fellowship in the sense of I talked to them or, you know, we had a potluck at the church or we had a meet and greet, you know, at school where we just kind of mingled around and said, hi, my name is so-and-so, you know, I'm a baker. And, and then when you moved on to the next person. And we call that we had a fellowship. But in God's Word, when we read this, we find that fellowship is far, far deeper than even that. In fact, Romans twelve five says, In Christ, we who are, are many form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. There's like this connectedness in God's Word that we find. That's what fellowship really looked like. I mean, how, how do you think the early church expressed their fellowship, their love for one another. Let's just take a look at this, at this verse here, verse 45. It says uh, in 44, they were, they were together. They had everything in common. Here's 45. Selling their possessions and good, they gave to anyone as he had need. How about we do that next week? I mean, how about next week, uh, instead of taking up our tithes and offerings at the end of the service, our 10% that we talk about, and I know, we, I mean, we balk enough about 10%. Whoa, God, what are you talking about, 10%? What if next week, instead of that, we said, all right, um, time to pass up your car titles, you know, your, 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 your house notes, pa- pass it all. We don't want your notes. We don't want to pay for that. But pa- pass up all your papers, all your, all your possessions, and, and we're going to go ahead and take those, and we're going to go sell them, and then we'll kind of give and disperse uh, to anyone who might have need. I mean, amen? Do that? Yeah, I don't think we get a lot of buy-in on that. But we find that's what they're doing. That's what's happening here in the early church when they looked at one another. In fact, sometimes people a- actually say, uh, you know, I, in the New Testament, you know, we don't have to tithe. We, New Testament Christians just give with a generous heart. We don't do tithing. And I want you to know, I have met one couple that believes that who they are the epitome of generosity and giving well above and beyond in that. So in my opinion, you, you just keep rolling right with that thinking because they are surrendering all of their heart and their finances and those. Most of the people I met, that is an excuse to why they don't give at all. Don't give at all there. So you want to choose the 10% system or you want to choose the New Testament system that we're given here in God's Word? Because this New Testament system, man, there's... There's a lot of sacrifice, pouring out all that you have for anyone who would have need. Now, let me put it a little bit in context. When these people came out and they said yes to Jesus Christ, in the Jewish world, they were saying no to their Jewish roots. They viewed themselves as Christians who were Jewish people who were accepting the coming Messiah, but the Jewish people viewed them as people that had abandoned and cursed their Jewish roots. So guess what happened? They lost their jobs. They were kicked out of their homes. They were on their own. There was no government system. The Roman Empire was not going to come to their aid and send them a check each month. It wasn't going to happen. So what happened? 
we find that these believers in Jesus Christ, what they did was they looked at somebody and said, hey, come on in, you can live with us for a while, we'll put food on your table, we'll take care of you, we'll help you get back on your feet, we'll help you get going. In fact, uh, join us for this, this time of, uh, of prayer and, and teaching and those type of things. And these people were discipled. And we find that not only did they find little jobs and tent maker jobs that we find in the New Testament, we find that these people went out and they started evangelizing and preaching and sharing God's word all over. Why? Because they had just experienced it. Kicked out of their home and they had just experienced this type of fellowship. That's pretty amazing what happened in the church. I believe in our system we are far more apt today in our country, we are far more apt to sit back and let somebody else take care of that issue. Somebody else. Do you know that next Saturday is, is uh, uh, if I got this right, next Saturday's lot, right? And we push for uh, uh, 15 boxes. How many do we push for, John, from the church? 15 from the church um, each month. We normally pull in somewhere around four or five. We sit back and wait for somebody else to take care of it. Somebody else will do it. Government's got a nice system in place. We'll just let them do it, Right? Um, city's got something going on. There's a bigger church down the road that, that does a pretty good job with their, and we, we sit back and wait for somebody else. But in true fellowship, you know what we do? We look out and we say, who's in need? And we do something about the need. Now, sometimes that's giving exactly what they're asking. Other times it's going to them and talking to them and finding out what do they really need. It may not be what they're asking. But that's what fellowship was in, in the early church here. Finally, uh, number four is evangelism. And evangelism is expressing love to those outside the church. To those outside the church. It's people that would now go out and they were sharing who Christ was and they were doing what they had just experienced. They were doing it for other people even outside the church. Why? Because they already saw how Christianity played out in their own life, and now they wanted to go share it with other people. And what do we find? That daily people were added to their numbers. Why? Why would people daily be added to their numbers? Because they were experiencing being taken care of in their life. They were experiencing that Christians and, and God were supplying their needs and was giving them, as it's written in God's Word, life and more life than they could expect. You see, I think at times when we think about what we're given, we think of a disposition change. That's what we think of. I'm kind of here, and if I get locked into this church thing, I'll be here. And, and that's, that's what I'm looking for, just a disposition change. We're looking for, at times, if we're honest with ourselves, we're looking for an entertainment change. If we can get there on Sunday morning and we go, man, that was pretty cool. I mean, they played Final Countdown. I used to listen to that as a teen, you know. We're looking for an entertainment change a bit in our life. And we walk away and we say things about a church, you know, hey, that was pretty cool. You know, the, I mean, the band rocked this morning. And, you know, the preacher was funny this morning. Maybe he wasn't funny. I don't know. Um, you know, but he looked really cool in his glasses this morning. So I found him after several weeks. I'm excited. But we're looking for an entertainment change in that. We don't say it that way. But we pop to one church to another, one Christian setting to another, because it's just, it's just a little bit more entertaining to me. They were experiencing incredible life change here. And why? 
because they found that in their words and in their action, um, they were ministered to, and so they turned around and did it for others. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, in word or deed. Monday, I had the opportunity to sit with the athletic director at Montreat College, little college in the mountains outside of Black Mountain. I was there for the pastor's retreat, and, and I went up the hill and met with him. And what he was telling me is the biggest struggle for him as an athletic director is not in teaching coaches. It's not in, uh, in, in dip, uh, uh, dis, uh, what do you call it, disciplining players sometimes that falls on his desk. He said the most difficult thing as athletic directors is when he needs to hire a position to bring somebody in who truly understands what it means to biblically integrate athletics with somebody's faith. Because so many people, it's play, 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 play. All right, we're going to have a little Bible study, and I'll probably bring in an outside speaker because I don't quite feel right myself teaching these guys. And that's what it, he said. I want to some, bring somebody in who, in everything they do, in everything they say on the field, in everything they're about as a coach, and how they interact with the players on the field, off the field, when a life tragedy hits a player, how does the coach handle? I want to see somebody who exemplifies Jesus Christ in all they do. And he said, you know, of, of hundreds of applications we get for every coaching position that opens, even for a small uh, school up in the mountains, for hundreds of applications, it's hard to weed through and find just two or three that might fit that criteria and obviously have the criteria to actually coach the team that he's hiring for. That's amazing. Narrow is the road is what the Bible tells us here. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of Christ. Why? Because that's why we communicate far more by what we are than what we say. How we live out our lives rather than what we just simply say. So, uh, I'm going to guess, when I talk about this, like going out and sharing the gospel, sharing your faith, like some of you, like, it just petrifies you to no end. Um, your, your idea of what that might mean and, and that you're called to do that is, is just scary. Some of you, it's like, you know, hey, I'll do that. I'll get to that. You know, I'm kind of growing in my Christianity, and when I get to a certain ledge point, then I'll go out and, and share that. Some of you have convinced yourself, I got nothing compelling to say. I, I don't know enough about God's Word. It's not like I have one of these campfire stories of major drug abuse and then turning to Christ. I just don't have anything to say at all. So I want this morning, as we finish off here, I don't want you to see evangelism as like guilt from the pastor or even as responsibility from God's Word. Do you know what I want you to see it as? A privilege. That's what evangelism is. It is an absolute privilege. Here's why. We actually get to help determine where somebody will spend their eternity. That's been offered to us. You're not doing the converting here, all right? That's between the person and God. But you're doing the sharing and the, the sharing of the gospel. When we get to change the eternal destiny of our friends and of our family, God uses you. He uses me in that way. That's an incredible privilege to think about that, that God so entrusts you and loves you that he gives you that privilege to go out and to share that way. So if we're going to reach people... Um, you and I, we're going to have to be in this loving relationship. And I would guess that 
somebody has a testimony of coming to know faith because somebody had a real big Bible and they screamed and yelled, I guess there's testimonies of that. But I think for you and I, the best way is going to be just loving relationships with people. And I put a couple things in here that might be of interest to you. And to be honest, these are more conversation starters for you and your family to walk through and to think about this or to process with God this week. We've talked about this Grow to 200 campaign. Why? Um, Not really for the number. Our focus is if, if we had a number in front of us, it would remind us that we have a focus of reaching people for Jesus Christ. And we want that to be our focus. And I put a few things on here for you to think about. Number one, find people you spend time with. Do you spend time with? I remember going to a youth conference one time, and at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they handed us an envelope. It had a location in Phoenix somewhere, and they sent us out, and they said, go cold turkey evangelism. Now, I've been inviting people to church and inviting people into a relationship with Jesus Christ for about 20 years now. That was the worst afternoon uh, of evangelism for me. Talk about being as far out of your comfort zone uh, as ever. I, I, I far more encourage you, find people you already spend time with. My guess is there's somebody in your life right now who doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have an opportunity to spend time with them. Maybe it's somebody you spend a little time with that it's time to increase that time with them. Maybe you already spent a ton of time with them, and now it's time to find a way to get Jesus into the conversation and into the mix. Find people with similar interests to you. What do you like to do? Chances are you spend time with those people if it's something you enjoy doing or locations you enjoy being in as well. How about finding people in transition? Do you know that times of transition in our life are the times we're often looking for something stable? And it's a great opportunity to share some about Jesus Christ. Somebody moves to your area. Somebody just gets married. Uh, somebody has a baby. And, you know, after two weeks, they're like, I'm not sleeping. And, and it's just craziness. It's an opportunity, transition in somebody's life to share with them. Finding people who are under tension, knowing there's already conflict in their life. And if we truly believe that Jesus Christ brings peace and freedom to somebody's life, what better time than to talk to them when they're under tension. Of these 80%, I I said at the beginning, who don't go to church, 80% that don't go to church, do you know that uh, George Barna tells us that half have indicated that they would say yes. As soon as next week, half would say yes to coming to church if you just invited them. That's amazing. Now, you can sit here this morning and say, I don't really believe that stat. Um, Put it to to the test this week. Go and, and invite and, and see what might happen. In fact, receptive people, they don't really need pressure. They just need your invitation. If God's already working on their life, if there's something already there, they just simply need you to invite. Well, let me finish off with the takeaway. The question is this. Which purpose of the church that we talked about this morning do you need to work on the most? Or which one, maybe the better way of asking is, which of these do you need to become most aware of in your life? Do you need a process? Which one of these do you need to take to your devotion life and surrender to God and say, God, teach me more how to worship you. Show me how to get into your word more and to be taught. Show me how to, how to sacrifice and to, to give to those in need all around me in the church. And, and then show me how do I express to others the gospel and to share with them and even open up the door for an invitation for them to come to church. I want to pray for you in this area now, and I want to pray specifically for each of these. And I would just invite you to join me as I'm praying and, and just 
lift your voice right up to God and he'll receive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the the many ladies, uh, 42 of them, Lord, who are away this weekend getting refreshed and getting taught. And there's just something, God, about getting out of our normal context and going somewhere and being in a different setting. And lo and behold, you, you meet us and you speak to us. And Lord, it's not that you can't do that here, but there's just something special about getting away. And so when those ladies come back, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that they would be refreshed and renewed and focused on the things that we talked about this morning, even though they weren't here to hear them in this context, at least. Father, I want to lift up each person here that, that this morning has said that I wasn't even aware of the, those purposes. I didn't, wasn't aware of that passage or to know this is what the church is about. But indeed, this is what we are about, Lord, through your word. And so, Lord, if, if there be any of those that this morning someone here, a regular tender of Windover, somebody new that would say, you know, that is the one I, I want to focus on. I want to take that to my devotion time. I want to just spend time with God. If you this morning, you're like, boy, I know for me, I boil it down to Sunday morning, some music, a spoken word, and I'm out. That's my worship. And I want to start, I want to start focusing on worshiping every day in every area, and I want to start celebrating every time I follow God's word, and I want to call that an act of worship, no matter how small throughout my week. I want to start celebrating that with my spouse and celebrating that in the life of my kids when I see that happen as well. So I want worship to be 24-7 to me. Maybe if you're <coughs> maybe for you this morning, you're just impacted by the idea, I am not devoted to God's word at all. I mean, I live out some of the things of God's Word, but I'm not devoted to looking and researching anything or seeing and being taught. Uh, I just leave that in the hands of the guy that's on the stage. But this week, I want to open God's Word up and, and read and be taught by God. If that's you, just commit it. I, I think we all know the idea that 30 days develops a habit. Get into God's Word 30 days. If you've got to grit your teeth and just battle through it, Get into the habit over the next 30 days of opening God's Word and reading it. And then for some of you, fellowship is a thing. It's been, fellowship has been so boiled down to something small and a little chit-chat when we turn you loose to do greeting during the middle of the service. It is so far beyond that. And I would say as simple as if you look across this room right now and there's somebody you don't know and you know they're here all the time, how about extending a hand of fellowship and just saying, I'm Tom and getting to know him. Who knows what God could open up in the area of how you could serve them or minister to them or be a friend to them? And then finally, Lord, you know our focus this, this semester, all the way through December, our focus is, is just grow to 200. But the real, the key focus, Lord, is inviting people, inviting people to come hear about you. And Lord, I know in this area of evangelism that Every single person in this room has somebody in their life who needs to know you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, you're not going to wait to use somebody else. You're, you've put us in their lives. And so, Lord, this week, would you open up the door for conversation? Would you open up the door just for invitation? But certainly, Lord, would you use us to be praying for that person as you've already called us to that? If that's you this morning and you just need to say, hey, time to just take a step forward and trust God's going to meet you on the way. 
to invite somebody to church, to invite somebody into conversation about Jesus Christ. How amazing would it be if somebody's eternity was altered because you were obedient to God's prompting. Now, Lord, for this day, we just pray you would go with us and renew us, help us to honor your Sabbath today and, and rest. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to...